Hello, and welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people, who are known today as the Sockbridge Muncie community. I'm Justin Sheep, producer for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, and today we bring you a holiday special, reflecting on nearly three whole years of environmental concerns and community activism surrounding the Norlite Aggregate Plant and Hazardous Waste Incinerator. Just across the river from Troy and Cohoes, the Norlite plant has been under scrutiny since 2020, when it came to light that the facility had been burning millions of pounds of AFFF firefighting foam, causing per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, otherwise known as PFAS or forever chemicals, to be dispersed to nearby communities and just miles from the state capital. We'll hear today from a wide number of different individuals, each trying to prevent the plant from further harming their community. We begin with Professor David Bond of Bennington College, discussing the dangers of PFAS chemicals. Professor Bond has been a key individual in identifying the dangers of this range of chemicals and identifying its presence around Norlite. Then, Jennifer Malinowski, who is a resident of the Saratoga Sites Housing Project located next to the Norlite plant, discusses how the facility impacts her family and her day-to-day life. Later on, we hear segments from a climate rally held this past April at the Governor's Mansion to raise awareness of Norlite. Alexis Goldsmith of Let's Out Norlite, Poet D. Collin, Tashika Medina of Equality for Troy, and Kriti Sharma of the RPI Sunrise Movement speak at the event. After that, Dave Walker, retired geologist from Columbia University, shows how to test air quality by collecting dust samples and explaining its importance, especially in the communities around Norlite. Finally, we hear not just a story about Norlite, but the Lafarge cement plant in Clemens, which garner similar environmental concerns as Norlite. While not exclusively a Norlite piece, it highlights the battle for environmental equity that spans across the entire capital region. Our first Norlite piece, produced by Mark Dunley, is of Professor David Bond of Bangdon College, who shares his knowledge on the dangers of PFAS chemicals. Norlite has been burning firefighting foam containing these chemicals, causing them to be dispersed into the atmosphere and surrounding regions. In small print, the chemical perfluorooctanoic acid has been detected in the public water system. But nothing to see here, nothing to worry about. Let's all just move on. Tonight, I want to walk everyone through how my community and these nearby communities struggled to face up to this scourge of PFAS. How we learned to channel our outrage as this local problem went national and now goes global. So very soon after, after the discovery of PFAS in our region, the college I work for, Bennington College, started a conversation about what a college can do uh, in a situation like this, uh, how we should respond, and especially around all of the confusion that state agencies seem to have when faced with the discovery of PFAS, not to mention uh, the very shady corporate investments in muddying the water uh, nearly everywhere PFAS is found. Almost immediately after PFAS was found in Hoosick Falls and then Bennington, uh, all of the, if you Googled it, the very first couple sites were all sponsored ads on Google, sponsored by the very folks who put this chemical into our water and our soil, uh, all with very glossy uh, websites uh, explaining that nothing was really known and it's all, it's all going to be fine. We've spent the last seven years uh, since this discovery opening the doors uh, of our college to this this issue. Uh, We've offered classes free of charge to a public that was sort of desperate for reliable information. We helped households test their own private wells for PFAS when the state was refusing to do so. We conducted environmental research to identify uh, the shadow of soil contamination 
that resulted from emissions from a plastics factory. Uh, we determined that, that uh, uh, plastics factories in our towns uh, contaminated about 200 square miles uh, of soil uh, with elevated levels of PFAS. Uh, we've also countered various corporate campaigns to emphasize the uncertain science around PFAS. Uh, and one of the ways that we've, we've countered those corporate campaigns is to go back to their own corporate archives. Some of the most concrete science about the toxic uh, profile of these chemicals comes from the, the very companies that manufactured them and tried to hide that knowledge for decades. We also have gotten more involved recently, uh, as Mark mentioned, uh, with some of the reckless efforts to incinerate PFAS uh, and helped conduct some of the first soil samples downwind of a hazardous waste incinerator uh, that was burning these chemicals in Cohoes, New York. Uh, and what I've learned in the past seven years in this work uh, convinces me that these compounds are a diabolic curse. Uh, and sometimes I think the, the scientific uh, technical words we have to describe some of their properties is inadequate to the crisis they pose. Uh, and that perhaps the language of evil is, is, is more appropriate for these chemicals. We should never forget that this scourge of PFAS was entirely preventable. PFAS are a, a family of compounds, about 4,000 to 5,000, uh, and they're often defined by a few distinct properties. Uh, PFAS do not break down naturally. They're called forever chemicals by a lot of advocates uh, because they stick around. They're comprised of a synthetic uh, carbon-fluorine bond, a molecular bond that's impervious to the chemical or the natural jackhammers of light, heat, and microbes. Once released, these chemicals exist on geological timescales. They do not break down naturally. Two, PFAS are surprisingly mobile. Once released, they seem to sail through many planetary systems uh, despite their relative confined use uh, in industrial areas in the global north. PFAS are now found everywhere that we've thought to look for them, on high mountaintops, in deep ocean trenches, and in most forms of life on Earth. So two, they're surprisingly mobile. Three, PFAS bioaccumulate. For reasons that we're still learning more about, PFAS accumulate readily in life, in vegetables, in fish, in eggs, and in humans. Four, PFAS are toxic. Trace exposure to these chemicals is now strongly linked to a number of adverse health issues, including dis developmental disorders, immune dysfunction, reproductive harm, and a host of cancers. These chemicals are pushing toxicology into an entirely new metric of concern, parts per trillion. These chemicals are, are you know, correlated to adverse health impacts at exposures at the level of parts per trillion. And these properties overwhelm our current structure of environmental governance. Our system of toxic regulations is premised on all chemicals being presumed safe until proven toxic with the responsibility of that proof falling entirely on an underfunded and outgunned public. Our system of toxic regulations is premised on maintaining good faith with corrupt corporations, no matter how much deceit they peddle. Our system of toxic regulations is premised on toxic problems being bound in a place and largely fixable by cleaning up that place. In some ways, our, her, our current health guidance for exposure to PFAS uh, are what they have been for the past decade, the lowest level that we can reliably measure these chemicals. 
Every time we find a new way of reliably measuring a new scale, a smaller scale, the health guidance level for acceptable exposure goes to that level. Uh, in our existing system, no direct confrontation with PFAS is possible, nor with the profiteers of PFAS contamination. A complete ban on all PFAS until we figure out how to manage their diabolic toxicity appears out of the question in our existing system. Instead, we face the depressing possibility of eons of slow, incremental, and entirely insufficient regulation. Yet how PFAS overwhelm our existing system is not reason for despair. This is where we get to work. Uh, and as so many frontline communities know, there are reasonable things that we can begin to demand and to do to begin to change our system uh, and bring the kinds of resources we need uh, to the harm that PFAS inflicts on our world. There are four big properties of PFAS that everyone should know about. They don't break down naturally, why they're called forever chemicals. They're surprisingly mobile, they bioaccumulate, and they're toxic. And they're toxic at, at pretty much any level of exposure, given our, how we measure these things. Uh, all of these properties overwhelm our existing system of regulating toxins uh, and demonstrate all that we need to do to completely rebuild uh, environmental governance around toxics. That was Professor David Bond of Benetton College. You can see and hear the entire webinar on these forever chemicals on the Facebook page of EcoAction. This has been Mark Dunley for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Regulations is premised on all chemicals being presumed safe until proven toxic, with the responsibility of that proof falling entirely on an underfunded and outgunned public. Our system of toxic regulations is premised on maintaining good faith with corrupt corporations, no matter how much deceit they peddle. Our system of toxic regulations is premised on toxic problems being bound in a place and largely fixable by cleaning up that place. In some ways, our, her, our current health guidance for exposure to PFAS uh, are what they have been for the past decade, the lowest level that we can reliably measure these chemicals. Every time we find a new way of reliably measuring a new scale, a smaller scale, the health guidance level for acceptable exposure goes to that level. Uh, in our existing system, no direct confrontation with PFAS is possible, nor with the profiteers of PFAS contamination. A complete ban on all PFAS until we figure out how to manage their diabolic toxicity appears out of the question in our existing system. Instead, we face the depressing possibility of eons of slow, incremental, and entirely insufficient regulation. Yet how PFAS overwhelm our existing system is not reason for despair. This is where we get to work. Uh, and as so many frontline communities know, there are reasonable things that we can begin to demand and to do to begin to change our system uh, and bring the kinds of resources we need uh, to the harm that PFAS inflicts on our world. There are four big properties of PFAS that everyone should know about. They don't break down naturally, why they're called forever chemicals. They're surprisingly mobile, they bioaccumulate, and they're toxic. And they're toxic at, at pretty much any level of exposure, given our, how we measure these things. Uh, all of these properties overwhelm our existing system of regulating toxins uh, and demonstrate all that we need to do to completely rebuild uh, environmental governance around toxics. That was Professor David Bond of Benetton College. You can 
see and hear the entire webinar on these forever chemicals on the Facebook page of EcoAction. This has been Mark Dunley for Hudson Mohawk Magazine. That was Professor David Bond of Bangdon College talking about the dangers of PFAS chemicals. Our second segment is an interview by Joe Ritchie with Jennifer Malinowski, a resident of the Saratoga Sites Housing Project, which is located next to the Norlife facility. Hi, this is Joe Ritchie reporting for HMM Radio. Today, we're speaking with Jennifer Malinowski, a single mother raising her children in the shadow of the Norlite Hazardous Waste Incinerator in Cohoes. So tell me some of your experiences living here at Saratoga Sites, how long you've lived here, and the situation that your family's in now, and how you're trying to get out of the situation that you're in right now. So I've been living here since 2014, uh, November, um, actually uh, November 2013. And I noticed, you know, the first couple of years of me being here and living over at 68 Saratoga sites that I was coughing a lot. My me and my children's breathing um, was kind of pretty getting pretty bad. And I noticed that 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 didn't happen until we moved here. Um, I was had put in for a request to move um, in 2016. Um, but what ended up happening was my household increased and they ended up moving me to another unit on this side of Saratoga site. So I'm now in number seven and I had put in for section eight. I didn't want to move here. I was, my goal was to move out of here, but at the time, you know, section eight is a process. It takes a while and it didn't go through, you know, in, in a timely manner that I needed. So I was forced to stay here. I took the apartment because it was available and I needed to move, but I was unaware of the the severity of the, the Norlite situation. And when I moved to this side, everything got worse. I noticed, you know, I'm literally right here, closer to it, and my breathing, everything has increased. You know, a respiratory issues, you know, my children constantly being sick, you know, fumes, smells, breathing things, just a lot of different things that affected me and my children. I still was pushing to move out of here, but unfortunately that didn't kick in until this Norlite situation started to come to light. Um, and they started taking action is when I felt that this is when they decided to give me the Section 8. Um, and I felt that we weren't, I should have been a first priority. You know, people living here should have been a first priority. But unfortunately, you know, I wasn't. And I'm on disability. I struggle financially. My household size has increased since me moving on this side. And, you know, it's it's no one is helping me move out of here and I feel that they should be helping us. Yeah, thank you for that. So just explain to me very briefly how it is raising kids and being a single mother in this day and age, especially with the increasing um, apartments um, and prices all over the place. Is it easy to find a place to just get up and move like some people think it is? So I've been looking for apartments and I, I've been looking since December. I've actually been looking since I first had put in because I was waiting for the Section 8 to kick in and it didn't soon enough. So I was trying to find other alternative ways to get out of here. But unfortunately, the cost of living, I can't afford to move. I've been looking for apartments, but the, the issues that I'm running into is apartments are scamming and taking fees for um, application fees, background checks and things like that. When you don't get approved, here you are 
putting in 10, 15, 20 applications and you have to do a background check for each one that is charging 15, 20 dollars just for a background check for each adult 18 and over. So it's a waste of money that I don't have. And the apartments are overpriced with the, with the cost of living is going up, but people are not their income. Pe- the people's income is not increasing and the pandemic is not helping. You know, so it makes it very hard for me to up and move my family out of here because I, I, the, the apartments are not affordable. Um, you know, the landlords are asking too much money. They want four times the rent amount for most of the apartments. And, you know, that's outrageous. You know, people these days are not if I was, you know, making four times the rent, I wouldn't be living in public housing. Yeah, so it seems to me what you're explaining to me is there's a lot of potential discrimination going on here because obviously um, just of your income status as well as just the simple fact of just increasing prices due to the pandemic and due to just life in general. The federal minimum wage has been $7.25 forever and luckily it's $15 now in New York, but that's still not enough to sustain a family, especially when you have, you know, so many people living with you right now. So my next question is, what is, what are some of your experiences just living next to Norlight in general? Some of the things you've experienced with like smells or things you've seen or tell me what you've experienced. So one of the worst experiences that I've actually had here, actually two of them, On numerous occasions, I was sitting in my bedroom and my left side of the face was facing towards the window. I would always get like a a burning, sharp pain go through my eye. And I really, I didn't understand what was happening. I thought, you know, something was going on with my vision. And I went and got my eyes checked, things like that. Even with the breathing and stuff, me not being able to breathe good. I went to my doctor. I tried to get, they checked my lungs. They said it's clear. But for some reason, when I'm here, I'm not breathing good. So they gave me a nebula, you know, an inhaler. And I couldn't understand why they're telling me my lungs is clear. But when I'm here, it's not. So I know, you know, it's the air that we're breathing is polluted over here. And that's bad. But the other issue that was to me was the worst experience was I came outside one day. the, The fumes, the fumes alone of us breathing it in, it makes us sick and nauseous. I came out to take my garbage. And I got that smell, like a kerosene-like smell that I thought either my gas was on and leaking or maybe somebody had a a lit uh, grill out here and forgot to turn it off. And I was afraid, like, there's going to be an explosion. And I'm like, what is that smell? And I realized it was coming from Norlight. But what had happened was when I brought, brought my garbage out and opened up my door, just from me breathing it in and smelling, smelling it, my stomach started cramping up. That was concerning to me because it started affecting me internally, my organs, like literally my stomach started cramping to the point I had to come back in the house. I rushed back in the house and I had to wait and, you know, get the like not to have that smell, like inhaling it. And then the the, the cramping stopped. So I realized you know, that was a big difference that I noticed from breathing it in and having to go back inside, you know, to avoid the fumes and my stomach just stopped cramping so it let me know that's why my stomach was hurting just from the fumes alone so to me that's concerning because if it affected me there's kids that play out here every single day my children play out here every single day I only came out for a few minutes to take the garbage out and my stomach was literally in knots like I felt like I was like something was like squeezing my stomach together 
And that, that scared me because I said, what is that smell? You know, and then I realized the Norlite was burning what they were burning. I realized there was no grills. It wasn't my stove. So that's that's pretty much my experience here. Yeah. No, and I really appreciate you sharing that. And, you know, just to finish off, Norlite recently sent a letter to residents around here that live here in Saratoga Sites and also um, Cohoes in general. And in that letter, they say that they care about the community that they're in and that they want to do good for the community. Do you feel that Norlite has been doing good for the community? And do you feel like they care about you? So I actually, um, I had actually, they had actually tried to come over and talk to me. And I was very upset. I actually got very emotional because I wanted them to know that this is, you know, this is not something that we're just making up. This is not something, this is very, this is affecting us over here. And I do feel that they don't care because the people that I spoke to, all they mentioned uh, was about how they're, you know, a benefit to the community, how they, they, they're building, the build railways and things that we need that are essential. They knew what they were burning and they knew it was toxic, but they basically had told me, oh, it got approved. So it got approved because I felt like they cared more about the money and the people, the, the, the risk that they put our lives at. It was at our expense, you know, our, so that to me, I feel like they don't care about us because if you can sit up here and tell me that what you're doing is beneficial uh, to the community because you're building railways and things like that, that we use, but you're not mentioning the toxic, you mentioned of the chemicals that you're burning and, and aware of the, you know, the effect, the impact that it can have on us, but you did not sympathize or even apologize you know, knowing, having that knowledge and knowing how it, it can affect us. You didn't even, they didn't even apologize. So no, I don't think that they care about us. Great. And just one final question. What do you think should be done with Norlite? I honestly think that they need to be shut down completely because we shouldn't be here. There shouldn't be no one. And it's not even just affecting us. There's other people that are within a certain perimeter that is being affected by it. So it's, it's, it's dangerous just to be where it is. It shouldn't be. It should be secluded. I asked them if there was a way that they can um, filter everything out. And they told me that their filters are not 100% and they know that it's not 100%. So if you guys know this, that means you guys know that you were putting us at risk. So if you can't shelter us or protect us from the chemicals that you're burning, then you need to be shut down. Because by you telling me that the filter is not 100%, you're basically telling me, well, I can't guarantee to protect your life. So they need to be shut down. If you can't protect me and my children, you shouldn't be there. Thank you, Jennifer, for sharing your story with us. It's very um, powerful. And I think it really shows people who don't live in this community that there's a true issue here when it comes to the Norlite Hazardous Waste Incinerator just being located 100 feet away from where people live. So thank you for sharing your story. You're welcome. Thank you. That was Jennifer Malinowski of the Saratoga Sites Housing Project. Since the time of that recording, the Department of Housing and Urban Development has approved relocation of the residence, which is still currently underway. Once vacant, plans are to demolish the complex and sell the land, with proposals to purchase coming from the city of Cohoes and Norlite itself. For those just tuning in, you're listening to Hudson Mohawk Magazine on the Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on WOOCLP 105.3 FM Troy, WOOGLP 92.7 FM Troy, WOOSLP 98.9 FM Schenectady, and WOOALP 106.9 FM Albany, and streaming online at mediasanctuary.org. 
This program comes in the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York. If you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend. Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. Up next is clips produced by Mark Dunley of a climate rally held this past April at the governor's mansion to raise awareness of Norlight and urge Governor Hochul to take action on the crisis. On April 30th, 250 people gathered in front of the governor's mansion to call on Governor Hochul to deny the permit renewal for the Norlight Hazardous Waste Incinerator in Cohoes. We hear from four of the speakers at the rally, Alexis Goldsmith of Lights Out Norlight, poet D. Collin of the Social Justice Artist Collective, Tashika Medina of Equality for Troy, and Kriti Sharma of the RPI Sunrise Movement. Dave Pablo was the MC. We start with Alexis explaining what Norlight does. And what they do is they mine shale and they run it through a high temperature kiln to turn it into what's called aggregate. It's a, con- it's a construction material. But they fire that kiln with hazardous waste and they get paid to accept and burn that hazardous waste. Boo! <laughs> so Norlight got infamous back in 2020 when the public found out that they were secretly burning firefighting foam for two years. Millions of gallons of firefighting foam that contains PFAS, a forever chemical, they burned in their kilns and didn't tell anybody. But then we started finding out that actually they've been violating their permits and polluting this na- this uh, region for 30 years. So it's time to shut it down. And there's, there's three main reasons why we need to shut it down. Number one, they're the largest mercury polluter in New York State. They're permitted to burn uh, and emit from their stacks 50 pounds of mercury into the air every year. And there's no safe exposure to mercury. The second reason is that they've been violating their permits for 30 years. They've settled with the EPA and the DEC. They've paid over, uh, they've paid a million dollars in fines. But that money doesn't go to the people who are affected, the people in Cohoes and Troy and northern Rensselaer County. And that's the third reason why we need to shut it down. We can't let the people of Cohoes and Troy and northern Rensselaer County be a sacrifice zone for this company. Shut it down. down. Last year, we delivered a letter to the Department of Environmental Conservation that was signed by 122 organizations in the Capital Region. And our next speaker is Tashika Medina, founder of Equality for Troy, combating systemic injustices and racial inequity in the city of Troy. This is great. I didn't expect to see so many people out now. I'm nervous. But this shows that we are reaching out and good positive things are going to come from this. Since about the 80s, the Norlights has been a major source of pollution in the Capital District with no regards to the community that they directly affect. Being the mom in a long-term residence in Troy, I always wondered, how does these hazardous material affect my children? Also, what it does to the other children in the city of Troy. After doing some research, I became very disturbed. Corliss Park is a housing development that lived, that's across the bridge from Norlight in Troy, New York. This development houses thousands of youth and babies of color. I was astonished of my learnings. Our children have been breathing and playing in this 
uh, fugitive dust for decades. We have no idea what the long-term effects will be on our children. We have no, we don't have any idea what it's going to do to their brain development. And they have stood quiet while we ask so many questions. Norlay has blatantly disregarded the community and is now ignoring the DC and the community that they are directly affecting. This is a form of environmental racism. Yay! With that being said, there's nothing else but to say, but to shut it down. And with that saying, I would love to see all y'all continue to work and let's do it together. We call on Gov Governor Hochul to what? So our next speaker is uh, someone that I have had uh, the pleasure and honor to get to know uh, in recent years. Uh, she is a poet. She is a visual artist. She ran for city council in Troy, and um, uh, I helped work on that campaign along with many others. And uh, so without further ado, uh, Danielle Colon. Hey, y'all. So I got a poem, because that's what I do. How many breaths does it take to get to the center of shutting down toxic waste incinerators built in the wake of playing children? Their laughter and inhale and exhale of particulates. Tell me how long we are to hold our breath to keep from breathing in poison without penalty, without apology, without acknowledgement, without repair. Become fugitives of the dust disseminating a recipe for dying. Death by a thousand cuts of glass to the lungs. When I was young, I was diagnosed with asthma. I know what it's like to lose my breath, to feel like the next one ain't coming, like drawing air from a straw. Now imagine one breath, slow and wheezing like a train coming to a stop. Just one inhale, all the muscles in your body concentrating for one breath, but it's filled with dust, and the dust is filled with dioxins, and mercury, and chlorine gas, and arsenic, and I could go on, but I want to know how many breaths we got left. Tell me how do you escape a burning building when it's your own body? I think they are counting on us losing counts of our breaths when DEC doesn't even care, when families are displaced instead of the toxic waste incinerator that displaced them, when darkness nor light reaps any consequence, it just is. But today, we do not consent nor concede to cancer cells, to coughs, to irritation of the eyes, to compromise abilities to reproduce life. Today, this breath this breath is a protest to the powers that pollute the places they think no one will care about, think they could make us sick without us being sick of it. But today, as sure as the sun shines, as sure as the sun shines, our breath is still in our bodies. We will be fighting for the air that we breathe, for the water, for the soil, for our lives, to be free of the dust that lingers on our windshields and windowsills, on playgrounds where you can still hear the laughter of children and the soft whistle of dust-filled wind, an open secret of slow death, 
But we, we are one collective breath blowing the dust back. We are one collective breath blowing the dust back. How many breaths should it take to shut down more light? One. How many breaths should it take to shut down more light? One. How many breaths should it take to shut down more light? One. How many breaths should it take to shut down more light? One. Our next speaker is Kriti Sharma. She is part of the Sunrise Movement, a group of college students that are working towards raising awareness about local climate issues, increasing progressive policy-oriented conversations around climate change, and attending rallies and protests in the capital region. So, Kriti. Hello, everyone. That poem was absolutely moving. Can we have another hand? <laughs> My name is Kriti Sharma. I'm part of RPI Sunrise, just across the river. Um, we are deeply, deeply affected, and we are so moved by everyone that is here today, and we deeply appreciate that you all are here today as well. So Sunrise, we're a group of college students. There's also high school students around the country that have realized that climate change is going to affect them before it's way too late. So we are constantly trying to get students who are apathetic about politics, who are not ready to talk about politics or ready to attach policy to progressive climate action. We are trying to get them to come to events like this. We're trying to get them to really recognize all of the climate injustices in the area. And um, we were absolutely shocked to see a cancer cluster, to see children suffering with asthma because of climate change just in our backyard. And all of the winds that are coming to Troy, all of the winds that are coming to these college students from all across the country in one area, they're going to soon realize that this isn't an issue that's in some third world country that they don't care about. I encourage you all to be an activist in any right that you have. Keep conversations with politically, <laughs> with politically apathetic people. So I call on Governor Hochul to shut it down. This has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. You just heard clips from a climate rally at the governor's mansion held to raise awareness of Norlight. Speaking at the event were Alexis Goldsmith of Lights Out Norlight, poet D. Collin, Tashika Medina of Equality for Troy, and Kriti Charma of the RPI Sunrise Movement. Next, we hear from Dave Walker, a retired geologist from Columbia University. He came to the Sanctuary for Independent Media last year to talk to Uptown Summer Youth about the importance of clean air and how to test air quality by taking dust samples. What you will hear now are clips from that event, produced by Sina Basilahiki. Dave Walker was a guest presenter at this summer's Uptown Summer Program he showed the young people how to collect a dust sample for testing and why this work is so important. I'm Dave Walker. Today, I'd like to tell you a story. I'd like to show you some pictures which will appear on the screen behind me. And most importantly, I'd like to enlist your help in understanding what the distribution of hazards and threats from a particular facility which is well known as a source of environmental and industrial pollution over in Cohoes, just about a mile to the west of here. This is the Norlite facility which produces an industrial product. They take shale, they grind it up, they run it through a kiln at very high temperatures, 
and then they take it and uh, put it in concrete. It's light, it's glass rich, it's bubbly. So it makes very strong and very lightweight concrete. So if you want to make a bridge that doesn't collapse under its own weight, you put this stuff in the concrete and you're home free. Unfortunately, during the manufacture, they have to burn something in order to make the heat to partially glassify and puff the stuff up to make this lightweight aggregate. And the choice of fuel in the old days was some fossil hydrocarbon like coal or natural gas, but in the present time, the fuel of choice for Norlite is uh, industrial waste, industrial spent solvents, bad oils, uh, you name it, chlorinated solvents. It all goes in the furnace, it all drives the process. And some of us have been quite worried about the possibility that some of those nasty industrial pollutants, especially the chlorinated solvents, weren't getting completely uh, consumed and therefore might be uh, coming out of the smokestack as uh, environmental hazards. That's not my story today. My story today has a geological component to it and it trades to a certain extent on my expertise as a geologist to recognize this new form of uh, uh, hazardous material which is being emitted from this facility. Okay, sampling crew. Everybody all set? Let's go out and get some, some dust. If you look up close, you can see there's quite a layer of dust here. This is exactly the stuff we're looking for. Earlier, this screen was popped in and there was an even richer layer of dust in there, but unfortunately they've closed it since, uh, since I was out here with them at, at 10. But we can sample off of here. So I've got my, my little glassine scoop. And if I put it like this, for instance, I could take the, the coarse scraper and I so see what I've got? Mm -hmm. That's a perfectly adequate sample. That much is more than I need, okay? So then I would fold it up. Fold it once more into the envelope and then I write such interesting and important things as today's date which is 21st and does anybody know what the address here is? 3357 3357 North Troy and my name is Dave Walker great so I mean that's what you do you go home you maybe got an upstairs window with this kind of arrangement. Those are really good because the screen keeps the dead bugs and the leaves and the bits of uh, twigs and stuff from contaminating your... Or it's not that they're contaminating your sample. It just gives you more haystack to look through to find your needle. So this is a good filter to get rid of the, the stuff that you, you don't care about. Unless you're a biologist and you want to keep track of which bugs there are <laughs> uh, in your pot. Okay, thanks. In we go. In the uh, Depression era, they took unemployed people, people that, you know, their farm failed, 
in the Appalachian Mountains, and they started doing mining and tunneling uh, with people, black powder blasting, with no protective equipment. Some of those people died within three weeks. The ones that weren't quite so heavily exposed to that level of freshly broken silica, you know, they had uh, COPD-like symptoms for a long time. And uh, the amount of exposure and the freshness of the material are two key parameters for how quickly you uh, develop problems and how serious those problems are. So I, I'm not kidding when I say you should be wearing a, uh, a particulate filter over there in Saratoga Sites uh, uh, neighborhood. Now the DEC has been putting up these air quality monitors and they say, oh, there's no problem. We look at the integrated flux of particles over the last, they've had them up there since February uh, over the last five months. And they say, oh, we're way under state limits. What that ignores is the fact that this stuff comes in great blasts. Every time there's a, you know, a good breeze, the stuff comes billowing off those piles. And the rest of the time, it just sort of sifts down to the bottom of the piles. So there's a... So Regulatory levels. You see trick. They say, oh, well, the integrated exposure to mercury is, is the following, but if you get great gusts of this stuff and uh, you, you happen to be there, you're in deep trouble. The same is true with this, this particulate loading that's coming from this place. It's episodic. So having a, a filter that's uh, sucking the air in over uh, you know, a period of, of months doesn't give you the story of how dangerous this stuff is. It tells you what the integrated risk is if you were to spread the stuff out evenly. But if you're outdoors when one of these dust storms is going on, that's a completely different kettle of fish. And we, we talked about that a little bit last week when we talked about the air standard for lead and that it's calculated over a three-month average. So as long as that average period you know, falls below the standard, it doesn't matter if there was you know, big spikes at some point as long as that averages out to below what they're saying. So, I mean, I really want to thank you, Dave, and Abby, and Dan, and Kathy. I mean, this is Nature Lab, and I, but I mainly want to thank the youth, because Nature Lab is nothing without the younger generations in this community carrying on the science that they learned from there. So Danielle's going to carry it on here, so we'll have a wrap-up session here to kind of process this morning. Uh, so I just want to hear from our summer youth uh, something you learned today uh, or something you found interesting. I couldn't be in the air, just literally just chilling there. I didn't know that. It could be anywhere at any time. I found the sampling interesting, being that I wasn't here earlier to go on the field trip. I'm going to do it on my own. Well, today was fun. We did our dirt experiment and we did our dust experiment. I'm still mad about having to pick up all the debris in the dirt experiment. <laughs> but it's fine. I don't harbor grudges at all. <laughs> but today was fun. I learned how to collect samples from window sills. Well, I learned about that factory. Like, I didn't even know anything about that factory being so close to where people live and that air traveling that far over here. 
near our sanctuary in the neighborhood over here. How extensive is the damage? Who do you know in your neighborhood? Do you have uh, sick people in the house where you live? Do you have sick neighbors? Do they have pulmonary problems? Do they have congestion? Do they have asthma? All of these things are sort of pre-symptoms of the, the problems that are brought on by this kind of exposure. My sampling program hasn't covered this area very well at all. And I really, really appreciate it if you guys helped us out in getting coverage of areas where we haven't been before. You have access to your addicts. You know, you get some big, fairly scary guy with too much hair and too few teeth. You don't get access that well. But, you know, you live there. You can get in. You can get to those windowsills. That was Dave Walker, retired geologist from Columbia University. Testing the air quality of one's environment is important for determining air safety, especially in areas of concern such as the region surrounding Norlite. In the Keppel region, there are many areas of environmental concern that impact residents of local communities. That is why for our final segment, we're showcasing a talk by Joe Ritchie with retired nurse Christine Promomo, who talks about her community's struggles with the Lafarge cement plant in Queemans. The Lafarge plant has violated environmental protection policies multiple times in the past, yet still remains in operation to this day. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Queemans, New York, Southern Albany County. What do you do as your profession? I'm a retired registered nurse. How have you seen your profession impact the community that you're in now, and maybe even because of the times that we're now with COVID, how have you seen your profession make a positive impact on the lives of local residents? Well, as a retired nurse, I am a member. I joined the Albany Medical Reserve Corps volunteer group from Albany County uh, many years ago, actually. And uh, we were asked and activated to help with uh, the vaccinations and as well as contact tracing. So I, as a nurse myself, did that for folks in our community. Um, we have had Albany County Sheriff's Office run several vax clinics in the town. And so if, from my perspective, that's been the primary way um, I as a nurse and the school nurses at the Ravina Queen Selford High School system have also um, been involved. Great, thank you. And I always like to ask people that question because I think it gives a nice perspective of the positive contributions an individual citizen in the area can make. So I think that's awesome. So are there any environmental concerns in your area, in the city that you live in? Yes, Joe, there is. We live in the shadow of the Lafarge Wholesome Cement Plant, which has been located and is located next to our high school and middle schools right across the road. Also, um, several miles from our elementary schools in the school district. And Lafarge Wholesome has a long history of environmental violations starting back over 10 years ago when they were spewing from their smokestacks uh, when they were making their product cement into the atmosphere that contained very high levels of mercury. So as a result, uh, $10 million in fines, they had to rebuild their stacks. However, that didn't stop them from continuing their quest to start to want to burn waste and tires in their cement kiln to fuel the production of their cement that would supplement the coal they currently burn, cost them less money, but of course, spew toxins and waste into the air that would spread everywhere, not just in our community. 
what are some of the things that you guys have done in respect to have you guys done protests against Lafarge? What are some of your guys' actions and maybe successes? Well, um, our first big success that happened was back in the end of 2016-17 when Judith Ank, who we all know is our environmental guru here in the Capital Region and beyond, she heard through another environmentalist that Lafarge Wholesome was in conversations and talks with the state of Connecticut to begin to import waste and tires into their cement kiln to begin to burn those that waste and tires and that kicked off press conference our town board that was currently um, running the town said stop this can't happen we spent about a year working on a clean air law that would severely restrict burning of tires in our cement kiln there and that was a big victory when that bill passed. At the same time, Albany County, we had a county legislator in our district who also said, we need to do this at the county level. So that took about a year and a half to pass a clean air law, a little less restrictive than we would have liked, but we had many people who showed up, who, who came to the public hearings, who spoke out, not just from our community, but beyond. That bill passed as well. Most recently, last, just let's see, the end of 2019, we found out our town board that flipped at the last election. The incumbents now uh, who are all, they were all funded by big money, by Port Aquimans uh, company, by Lafarge Wholesome there. They won their election. We have now five non-environmentalists and friends on this town board. As soon as they came into office, they uh, decided to amend our clean air law in the town of Queemans. And by doing the amendments with one hearing for public hearing during COVID, they voted on these amendments. It passed unanimously. But what these amendments did was strip out every single protection for tire and waste burning that was in that law. Because of a crazy regulation in New York State environmental law called Home Rule, no longer does our bill, our law, apply in our, in our town, but also the Albany County bill no longer applies. So currently, if the DEC would want to renew a permit, which they did deny the permit, their old permit to burn tires, if they did renew their permanent permit, you know, there is no protection anywhere in New York State to prevent them from starting this. We had protests. We tried for a permissive referendum in the town. Right around Christmas time, we got 254 people to sign a petition going to the town saying, we want to be able to vote on this amendment changes, and they threw out our petition. So that's where we are right now, our Clean Air Coalition of Greater Ravina Queemans has really uh, ramped up its activities since then. We've been working with Lights Out Norlight, some of the other larger environmental groups around the communities. So that's where we are right now. We're still waiting and hoping that we're gonna be able to influence legislation that will stop waste and tire burning within New York State and also hopefully anywhere in the country. Yeah, no, I, I'm really impressed by all the accomplishments and the resilience, the resiliency you guys have been had to go through. When did you guys first hear about the Norlight struggle up in Cohoes? 
I have to say it was through my, um, my work with the Albany County League of Women Voters. We have a advocacy program committee and that the Norlight issue came to the forefront from them and then also through Judith Ank of course because we are our Clean Air Coalition is very plugged into her initiatives and activism as well when it comes to incineration, fossil fuels and waste. My next question is do you think that the DEC is doing an adequate job to protect residents of New York State from these types of polluters? I would have to say on balance until recently no. <laughs> No, they have not. Um, And we have experienced that in um, our community, uh, as well as I know you have in with Norlight has been an issue. You know, we've had to we've had meetings with the DEC face to face asking um, for information about permitting process, uh, beneficial use determinations, all of these things that are happening and going under the radar for the by the Lafarge Wholesome Plant. And it's not been an easy relationship. On the other side, I do understand that the DEC has been severely underfunded over the last several years. It is not the same organization that I think it was when it was first started. I really feel that the DEC does a great job with all the recreational pieces, which is kind of their green face. That's what everybody sees, you know, the fishing, the hunting, the hiking the trails, um, but they don't understand the power that they have over these environmental issues, which are way more equally as important. I feel New York State needs a completely different environmental watchdog organization, not selected by um, the governor and any other of the, um, you know, big polluters in the state. They can't be involved any longer because they have their fingers in there. So do you think that Facilities like Lafarge and Norlight should be located in a residential area or by a school? No, no. Would anyone? I mean, we when we did our we do our activism down in our community, Joe. You know, we ask people, and it doesn't matter what their political affiliation is, who they voted for, who they believe in. When we went around door to door during COVID, by the way, to get signatures on our petition for the referendum in the dead of winter and a snowstorm. People had no idea this was happening and they did not want to see our clean air law in our town stripped of the protections. People do not want to see waste and garbage and industrialization of our community. My final question is, do you believe that Norlight and Lafarge should remain open? (laughs) Should they remain open? Norlight for sure needs to shut its doors. Absolutely shut its doors. I would love to see uh, Lafarge go as well, but I don't see that happening um, unless there's some kind of a revolution because the Lafarge Wholesome National, multinational corporate headquarters, you go on their website, you can look at their, their you know corporate documents and their public relations. They are absolutely focused on burning tires and waste to help reduce carbon as their green strategy when they're making cement. So we don't hold out much hope that that's going to happen where we are. But I believe absolutely Norite is a travesty and never should should be shut down now. There's no need for that plant to be there. And then all those people that live at Saratoga sites, that's a polluted wasteland for God knows how long. Those people need to be relocated to new places that are going to meet their needs and be safe for everyone to breathe and go out and you know enjoy you know the parks enjoy their backyard well thank you so much for speaking with me today i think it was really valuable getting a perspective of 
of, of our southern allies down in Queemans and to talk about the northern allies up in Lights Out Norlight. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. That was Christine Permomo talking about the efforts taken by those in her community to shut down the Lafarge cement plants in Queemans. And that's our show. We hope you've enjoyed this special episode of the Hudson Mohawk Magazine and are leaving better educated on the environmental activism of the capital region. I'm Justin Shee, and we want to thank all the volunteers who made this episode possible. Contributors to today's episodes are Mark Dunley, Joe Ritchie, Andrea Cunliffe, and Sina Basila Hickey. This program covers stories of social and environmental justice produced by the community for the community and is supported by independent donations. If you value independent media, consider a gift of a monthly donation as a sanctuary sustainer by going to mediasanctuary.org. We want to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Media Sanctuary, or send us an email to hmm at mediasanctuary.org. Tune in weekdays at 7 a.m., 9 a.m., and 6 p.m. to hear local news or stream Sanctuary Radio at mediasanctuary.org. Full episodes and individual stories are available on demand at our website and on your favorite podcast platform. We appreciate you listening. Until next time.